Hello and welcome back to Tech Uncensored. My name is Sam Hussein. Today we've got a great topic, learning to fail fast or pivoting. And before I introduce my guests for the podcast, I just want to remind everyone that we've got two great programs coming up in the spring, and that is Incubator 19 and Investor Readiness. Be sure and check that out on our website at altitudeaccelerated.ca. So I'm going to introduce our guest today. And I'll bring them on first. And that is Pushkar Kumar and Christian De Los Santos. Christian is the founder of Biofect Innovation. Pushkar and Chitral are the founders of NanoReal. So our topic today is failing fast or pivoting. So we're all familiar with that term. What's the philosophy that goes behind it? Well, you do extensive testing and incremental development of your, let's say in this case, our tech or our product or our idea and determine whether that idea has value. We, we start to build it, but then all of a sudden further testing reveals that this is not going to work. What do you do? Do you say, okay, I'm shutting it down and maybe I'll go and do something else different, or maybe I'll go and teach Christian. I don't know. Or do you say, I've got something here, but I just got to take a different vertical. I got to take a different path to make that successful. So I'm going to start off with you, Christian. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Biofect and what you originally started doing and then what made you change what you were doing? Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Sam. So we're Biofect Innovations and we're a biotech company. And what we really do is we combine cutting edge synthetic biology, the genetic engineering technology recently with traditional microbial fermentation to create these high value B2B ingredients for different industries, the food and beverage, for example is the exact same way that you would make beer, wine, or insulin. And we're using this technology to apply to different ingredients. And when we first started in 2017, towards the end of 2017, we wanted to apply this technology to create THC and CBDs. This is in the cannabis space. And as an early founder, we weren't essentially the most seasoned entrepreneurs, but we did understand that there needs to be a market for something you build. Following year, we all kept Canada was going to legalize cannabis. So we thought this was a great market opportunity. We wanted to enter there. And the problem that we saw was all the cannabis crops are being grown in greenhouses, especially in Canada. There's unsustainable practices there. So we thought, why don't we just remove the whole plant from the actual products which we can create in the lab using these microbes? So that's sort of like the first thing that we project. How about yourself, Pushkar Chitral? Who do you want, want to start off and tell us a little bit about how NanoReal started? I can start and Chitral can pitch in. See, I got to introduce Chitral because he's the smartest guy I ever met. I'm still meeting you, Sam and Christian. So I, <laughs> <talk about it. laughs> I agree. <laughs> I, I like the product idea. The, uh, starting with the cannabis, that's awesome. One. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, a very similar story for us also, but it was more, for us was more bottom-up approach. What we had was when we met, when me and Chitral came together in 2018, he had beautiful technology, which seemed to solve a lot of nanomaterials usage problem. So what we realized, it's a big market, but we do not know none which market segment to go and what to apply. So we started, let's see where it goes. And we decided a few market segments. And we went, in general, our technology is about use of a dispersing, which is a proprietary dispersing technology and use of that technology to make sure nanoparticles, like specifically your carbon nanotubes, can be dispersed 
and sold as an additive to different markets. Now, carbon nanotubes is a very niche market, originally, I thought, but it's, it turns out to be a very big market. It solves the problem of conductivity, mechanical strengths, a lot. But the issue had always been you couldn't use it because you can't disperse it well, and being nanomaterial, they would tend to agglomerate. You can't do it. So that's where we started. We picked up, I'll give this to Chitral. So Chitral is the real brain behind it. So I am the guy who usually ends up talking, and, but it was, he develops technology, and I will not steal his thunder. So Chitral. Okay. Thank you, Pushkar. So as Pushkar mentioned, Sam, so initially what we started like developing the technology and our focus dispersing carbon nanotubes, current, our, currently our focus is especially carbon-based nanofilla, carbon nanotubes dispersing into various types of liquids and polymers like water, your solvent or any other polymer to go to multiple market segments. But initially we chose polymers because we thought like that is the best market and has a lot of applications. And then try to commercialize our polymer-based, carbon nanotube-based additives. And then after like, it took around two to three years. And when we tried to commercialize our additives, what we found out like some of the market segments are very small and the larger market, volume market segments are very slow to adapt. And it takes like three to five years. So then, and at the same time, we got a lot of requests from low viscosity market segments like carbon nanotube dispersions in water and solvent like NMP, especially with this EV boom, those additives goes to your battery cathodes and anode, as well as your fuel cell bipolar plates. So because of that, we thought to pivot our technology even though it's a little bit difficult to disperse carbon nanotubes into low viscosity medium. So we pivot to low viscosity medium and after that, like we got like a lot of attention actually uh, from EV customers. Currently, larger EV customers are testing our products as well as uh, for sale customers. And also some other, even we have never thought about those markets like glove market. Because currently all the your devices are touch screen compatible and when you wear a glove, Gloves are normally like polymer insulative. You cannot use that as like touch screen compatible device or like, like your hand. So because of that, major glove companies, almost all glove companies and also prosthetic companies who make artificial fingers, they want to make gloves or artificial fingers touch screen compatible, even robotic hands. So that all of those applications based on low viscosity medium, like water or like solvent. So that's why we thought to pivot from mostly focus from instead of high viscosity medium to low viscosity attitude. And it's working well, actually. And my need for okay. pivoting was, it, I need food. I love food. <laughs> <laughs> and that was too slow to get the food on the table. But how did you figure out that was the market? No, so it's an ongoing process. So we, we were staying in touch with few of the market segments. And we are still trying to go out in different mar vertical market segments. What we realized is we initially categorized the entire market segments by how much volume we can put it in different segments. And then we initially chose a few segments, but what we had not initially thought that the sales cycle side, so, and the uptake side. So once we realized that is there, then we were started dabbling around in different markets because we realized quick, pretty quick, I don't want to go stay old and maybe end up making money. I still have kids to feed. So... Yeah thought let's need to reduce. So we're doubling into new market 
and we are learning that these different market segments, even the, and the volumes are high, and also the testing cycle is also much smaller. Okay. So one sure, of the key sure market, like... yeah, exactly. So one of the what we also realize is if we go into a key a product segment which touches lo- key areas of consumer usage, typically sales cycle can be longer. Like if we EV battery is still okay, let's say nanomaterial also gets used for material strength in aerospace. Now, aerospace, the life cycle can be very high. If you are lucky, it's six years. Otherwise, 10 years is not unheard of. Okay. So volumes are great. Once you are uh, specced in, you cannot be taken out. But that has now become a secondary and or futuristic market where we give it our materials to different business units, large organizations. They keep testing it, give us feedback, but we are not aggressively going out. So short, long story short, we are still learning which market still works. And hopefully we don't have to pivot more. So far, the traction is good. But what's interesting is that coming to the aerospace, as you're saying, is a 10-year cycle. In which case, if you only targeted the aerospace, you would be today starving. Effectively, you'd be saying, oh my God, we're not going to make it for 10 years. So when is it, like, did you ever come to a point and say, well, I don't know if there's a market or not for this. Do we pivot completely and just go do something else? Or do we keep trying some other path. How about Christian? What about you? Did you come to that point? When you went from THC, did you say, mm-hmm. oh, geez, do I have anything here? Or do I do have something here? I just need to pivot to something else. Yeah, I know. It's a good question. A little bit of what the other folks here said, where it's really about finding the market there. And I do love food as well. It is a lower hanging fruit here. <laughs> And you really have to be self-aware and take an inventory of what your company can do and what resources you have. Because for us, when we started, we were young, we were energetic, the financials there, obviously you have to be bootstrapped as an entrepreneur at an early stage. And with cannabis, just because it was going to become regulated the following year, it does not mean you can work on it in your laboratories. There's still some regulations in there. You can't just at a normal biology lab to start working on cannabis. There's so many red tapes and regulations that you need to overcome. And for us at that stage, we were, although ambitious, we soon realized that it might have been a hurdle that is very difficult to overcome with the long timeline as well. So ultimately, we decided to validate some of our assumptions, whether or not, is it still going to be worthwhile if we pursue this regulatory? Is the payout going to be good? And then when we started speaking to KOL, so these key opinion leaders in the industry, this was probably almost a year and a half into this project, we realized that the market is not necessarily as it was made up to be. As we all, we've all seen with the cannabis industry, and there was an uptick and then obviously the decline. And then at that point, when the market was also not cooperating with sort of our timelines, we decided to kind of think, okay, do we want to stay in this industry or do we move into something else? So that's sort of like how our journey has been with and then what did you do when you decided, okay, I think we have to move to something else? Or did you, is that the conclusion you came to? Or did you say, do I want to keep doing this anymore? Yeah, for us, as entrepreneurs, very, very stubborn. We're very persistent. It's so difficult to just say, all right, something didn't work. And I'm sure other founders can resonate with that. It didn't work. Let's move on to something else. It's tough to do that. And we like to persevere, right? As I always like to say, we have to persevere in the right direction. It's like we have to persevere, but we also have to um, cut our losses. And that's hard to do for risk takers like us. It's like, I'm going to go all in here. But so for us, saying, having to admit failure is difficult to do. 
Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, 100% agree. It's, it's a learning, new learning. It's a learning, yeah. right? It's a learning. Yeah. Yeah. It, is, it is a learning. And that was the frame of mind that we adapted where we developed this technology let's say, to produce the THC CBD. It's in the what do we have here and what can we apply to a problem in the market, right? And of course, there's not going to be a one-to-one fit. It has to be maybe some features. You have to redo them or maybe you have to build the product all over again. But for us, we're fortunate that we were to find that niche that Pushkar was mentioning where we can really enter the technology and apply it to that. Okay. And then what did you end up doing though? Yeah. So it, we ended up entering into the food industry because what we found, there's a boom in terms of sourcing ingredients that are more sustainable. And if you can imagine these different ingredients out there, the crop and the agriculture that is required to build our food products. If, you, if we all know about the staggering, let's say, emissions that they produce, we probably wouldn't eat them anymore, right? And this is something that we've seen, that's something that we've explored. So why don't we just use our technology to create these ingredients, the same ingredients, without the plant or the animals? So the, the, if you can imagine, food is everything. There's so many verticals. So this is part of the pivot where, what is the lowest hanging fruit here? What opportunity should we go into? And we thought, why don't we go into something that it's in every category, which is sugar, right? So sugar is in every single thing. You can't avoid it. And it's causing a lot of health problems for our population. And it's forcing food brands to reformulate their product. And the thing is, there's no substitutes out there that's good enough. So we thought, why don't we create a, an ingredient that can supply the industry with something healthier or something better? And that's what we've done with our Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Okay. So Pushkar Chitraso, what made you decide, listen, we have something here. Like, first of all, how did you know you had something here? And then you said, but we have to take a different path. So yeah, go ahead, Chitra. He's the more stubborn one than me. <laughs> scientist, right? <laughs> I was a scientist myself, so I get it. <laughs> well, in Sam Sam in our case, like because we know like what we had like a great product because like we got like a lot of industry feedback when after we developed the technology. We have like a very superior technology dispersed or so mixed nanofillers into different matrices. So like our pivot happened actually, we basically initially, we, as we talked earlier, like we, our focus was high viscosity systems and we try to engage with many customers and many application areas, like, like, okay, stick, like composite parts and many other high viscosity polymer and all the customers has accepted and even some few customers we already converted, but the volumes was, were low and the large volume customers were like very slow to adapt. So then because of that, like our revenue was low. So that's where like we had like a lot of discussions with like Pushkar and also like our advisors. And also at the same time, we get a lot of requests for low viscosity systems, as I mentioned, like water or solvent based. And also many carbon nanotube experts also told that because if like earlier, people like invested $35 billion in carbon nanotubes and I'm paid. So honestly, they failed. Yeah, no, no success. Even though they say it's a wonder material, there was not much commercial success. So at that point, the one of the major region, they could not disperse or mix that into low viscosity system. That's why we thought like, oh, take the risk and we need to little bit pivot the technology also because it's very difficult to disperse nanofillers into low viscosity mediums and establish that there. So, but we took and actually we were successful. And then when we try to commercialize the new additives, low viscosity medium, a lot of feedback and even like a lot of conversion. So 
So that's, yeah, and we that's, are still scratching the surface, I would say, more philosophically as against if, uh, literally. But glove manufacturers, it, instead of five, six, three, four years of cycle sales cycle, we were able to convert them into in six months. And now we are at having more commercial discussion on volumes as well as large term full rollout, commercial rollout things. So we are now scrambling. Oh, very interesting. Now we need to have a built capacity for production. So it has suddenly taken the business from where it was to a lot of op lot more optimism in the business and the business volumes and future volumes. So it's come to a very interesting junction now. That's so interesting though, because what you originally said is, is that there is no uptake in this product to begin with. All the companies that did come into this area failed because no one was taking it on. And then when Nano Real came into the picture, what you did is you said, okay, hang on here. There's no uptake here, but what if we change the formula a bit and go after this? Maybe there's something there, but what kept you going down that path? And especially with all these other companies who have just failed. That's why I say he's the more stubborn one. <laughs> <laughs> well, the major reason, Sam, they couldn't initially, why they all those other companies failed, they could not buy, identify the right right market, I would say. Because most of them were actually, if you check like carbon nanotech companies in early days from 1990s up to like 2000, like their focus was composite. But composite markets like very price sensitive and also very large sales cycles. And also their major focus was mechanical properties. And mechanical properties is very complicated to achieve because there are so many mechanical properties. Let's say tensile strength, durability, hardness, so many. So if you increase one, another one decrease. And sometimes in, for some products, you need to increase most of them. So that was like very difficult. We realized the consumer market like automobiles and your commercial aircrafts, etc., very science-oriented market. So what... We thought, at least I started with hardness and the strength is one dimension, but turns out they have become so scientific that they'll simultaneously look for 17, 18 or more parameters, which we also are learning right now. And Chital maybe knows, but for me, it was a new learning experience all the time. Yeah. So then for low viscosity markets, Sam, they have like one, only one parameter they were looking for, at least like most of them, even let's say lithium-ion battery cathode, anode, poor cell, bipolar plates, even gloves, electrical conductivity, 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 conductivity. So, which is very easy to achieve with carbon nanotubes and not much, you don't have to worry about other parameters. So that was the reason that early com earlier companies, they were not focusing about conductivity that much. They were going for mechanical properties. So that was the pivot actually. Okay. And what about you, Christian? You're now going down this sugar substitute. Have you validated the model? How do, and once you validate the model, how do you know you're on the right track? How are you funding it? Are you funding yourself? And I'll come back to all of you on this, but how are you funding yourselves to stay in the kind of in the business and going down this different path that you think is the right path? Yeah, thanks for the question. I'll try to answer this briefly. Um, I skipped out a few of the details in the story when we pivoted from cannabis. We moved into the food. I didn't go straight into the protein sweetener, right? I went into something I got on my shelf here, which is this is heme. This is blood. This is essentially oh. what makes your meat taste like meat. And this is what we wanted to decide to make at the start where I, I don't know. 
Yeah. You remember? Yeah, when I was yeah. mentioning you when we met. But the thing with this is you're very limited to a certain vertical of the industry where if that company or if that industry fails, which is a plant-based industry, then you go along with it. So for us, it wasn't broad enough. That's why we moved into the sweetener space. So when we we're thinking of what other ingredients can you make with this? And just very briefly, we take like a DNA from a fruit in West Africa. There's a fruit there called the ubu berry. It's 2,000 times sweeter than sugar. We take that DNA, we genetically engineer ourselves, and we make this protein without the plant itself. We wanted to identify a product that is not necessarily so brand new. It's not going to be a market for it, and then you're never going to sort of get into the market. And something that it's not so common and saturated, you're never going to stand out. So striking that balance in between. So I think for us, we felt like this is an ingredient that can do exactly just that. And based on what Pushkar and Chitral said, it's about the market feedback. Like when we're engaging these corporates, what is the feedback for the interest for your product? And for us, this ingredient has definitely had better success than when we were shopping this around. Okay. So I think that's one of the things. And to answer your final point, Sam, about funding. So at the start, we have to bootstrap this thing, obviously, as with any deep tech founders. It's almost like a chicken or the egg problem where to get the money, you have to prove that it works. But how do you prove that it works if you don't have the money? So yes. very creatively. And that's how we do it. With the help of mentors, accelerators, altitude, for example, we're able to sort of creatively, let's say, get non-dilutive grants, get into accelerators that give it money for a small bit of equity, do some consulting for other companies. So lots of those different creative stuff to fund. Also, personal sacrifice and eating a lot of ramen, for sure. <laughs> so you are now making the sugar, and what are you yeah. making it from? That's right. So we're using a microbe. So again, the same way that you would make insulin nowadays, you take a microbe, you genetically engineer microbe with a piece of DNA, right? And this piece of DNA, you can download it online. This is the beauty of wow. science. It's like downloading movies. You can download it, or wow. do the DNA, engineer the cell. Yeah. Every ingredient you can think of, we can download it. And then you ferment that in a fermenter, like making beer. And as that microbe is growing, it's also making that product. And what you do is just take that product. And then you have that protein, we'd say. Right? One thing maybe, I keep saying protein, but... If you think about sweetener, it's always chemical-based, like stevia and aspartame is good for your body. This protein that we found in West Africa, this fruit, it's a protein and it's very sweet. So it's healthy for you, good for digestion, and it doesn't really have that negative health effect. So that's why, Sam, I think we have something here. It's novel enough, but not too novel that people don't understand it. And what, and can you produce it to scale? So that's the step for us. So to produce it to scale, we need to, from lab to our bioreactors and biofermenters, and that's what we're doing right now. Again, scalability is one of the issues for some of the products we produce. For example, your THC, your heme. You think about what the cost is. If you've done your techno-economic analysis, what is the output there? How much does it cost to produce versus how much are you going to sell it for? And for us, it didn't really make sense for those ingredients. But for this, it does. Again, I mentioned 2,000 times sweeter than sugar. So if you can imagine, the multiplier for in the economics also applies. And can you make it, you know, because sugar is relatively cheap yeah even with inflation and everything i know has gone up but sugar is still a low-cost ingredient are you able to be competitive with that market that's right so this is where the niche comes in and looking for appropriate beachhead right like what products need this on a value-based model it's not necessarily competing with sugars that's in juices cheap juices you're looking for a different niche of products that might want this based on the value proposition which is the protein sweeteners which is why we can command a higher price for those premium products. Same thing that Stevia and other natural sweeteners. And now, and so Pushkar, 
What about for Nara Real? When you did pivot, and I would think that the original area that you were heading down were kind of high value items. Now you're going into a more, sounds to me like more volume based, true, lower value so, items. Are you able to supply this technology in that area in a cost effective so, manner? Yes. So this still exploring the value. We have not completely let go of going after value-based items. We have realized few items, it's long sales cycle. We are putting the other items in the matrix, high value, high volume, and whether we say can sell it as a, on do we need to sell it as a cost basis or do we need to sell it as a, on a value basis? We're still figuring that out. But for few segments, what we figured out is still our technology and the product has enough value to sell it at a value. So like even in the EV battery market where our product is going, no, none of our competitors are able to produce the value of our, like what we are able to produce for our, from our products. From, it's to come, do apple to apple comparison, what everybody is able to achieve in conductivity by one or two percent, we are able to achieve the same conductivity by less than 0.01%. So it, it's like a Christian's example. It's like a sugar sweet, but it's 2000 times sugar sweet. So my cost basis goes down dramatically. So what we know is we can compete with them, but do I need to compete with them or not? At least my view is for the initial few companies where I want to get attraction in the market, we'll end up competing with them on the price. But our long-term goal is still, this is a high value product. I don't need to compete with you all the time at commodity price or the low price segment. But we'll end up maybe having a split strategy in terms of volume and, and value. Let's see how it goes. Still trying to figure that out, but just can come in more. The one thing is clear. The high volume market usually wants a lower price point, but we can still compete because of our ability to have a very potent material. So we can still compete, like what Christian is doing, able to do that. Yeah, just, I don't need to nestle. Yeah, just to add one more point, Sam, as Pushkar mentioned, like our additives like uh, uh, 10x to 1000x better than compared to our other competitors at the same loading level. So because of that, like we have like right now, like greater than 70% gross margin. So, so it's not actually, we are reducing our margins because the product is much superior. We do not have any issue actually in that case. But as Pushkar mentioned, maybe in, because the battery market, for example, right now, we are currently working with one of the large customers to your previous question to Christian. Actually, we even have right now revenue from our customers. So they are talking about like starting from like even for testing, they are talking about multi-ton quantities and goes to like 10, 20, 30,000 quantities like it's huge volume. At that point, maybe we have to reduce the price, but still we think we, we can have like at least like 50 40 percent margins so that's because like battery batteries are expensive and it's like a high value market anyway so we don't think uh, we currently don't think it's a it would be a problem but it's still early stage i would say yeah and that is where the value of investor comes in they are almost like your mirror and sounding mirror they tell you how bad you look or good you look very quickly <laughs> And if you have, you start raising the money out in the market, you very quickly realize, oh, this is not scalable. That is not scalable. This is scalable. This is not scalable. Easy. So, and plus then, even though we start with the technology focus, our focus very quickly, we start to become commercial focus and business focus. 
So that's the stage which we, where we are in right now, trying to go out in the market, raise money, coming, trying to bring the technology out of our garage into the full commercial mode. Fingers crossed. So, yeah. So from what I can see now is that both companies have said, we've come up with an idea, a technology. We went down a path. It wasn't, we wasn't the, quite the right fit, but we think we still have something. So we'll go down a different path. Now we think we're going on the right path. It doesn't mean that you won't pivot again. Is that uh so, yeah, right? So when you, when will you go commercial question? So for us, yeah, just to yeah. round up the, our podcast, I'm just going to ask both of you, when do you think you'll go commercial? Sure. Yeah. We expect to. So, so we were at a lab scale right now. We aim to scale that up to thousands of leaders, for example, and we aim to at least go commercial next year. Again, contingent on some of the funding goals that we have, like Pushkar mentioned. So it's a good point that you made that investors are a mirror of who you are. And I guess this is part of the pivot as well, where that's really taken so much information and it's up to you to, to create that decision based on all the information that you're getting because everybody's journey is different. Yours will be as well. So for us, that's a plan, right? Pushkar. So. Partially, I would say uh, we are commercial, just that from the production level, we are not at a commercial scale. So we are supplying our products from the lab level, lab scale to the customers. So from that perspective, product perspective, we are commercial. From the production scale perspective, we are definitely not commercial as yet. So we are out in the market raising money. And if the plan goes right, then we should have a production capacity, decent sized production capacity by end of 2023 itself. So yeah, so I'm like, our plan is actually rapidly scale up beyond 2024. So it's scale up to like Maritan quantities between 2023 and 2024. And then from there, like uh, basically rapidly scale up with the customer volume, customer conversion. Okay. That pretty much brings us to our time. I got a little over and I had a few more questions for all of you, but it will have to be for another time. I want to thank all of you. For joining us and have a wonderful weekend. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Thank you. Great to meet you. Have a good yeah. one. Thank you. Thank you. Nice talking to you. Nice. Bye. Tech and Censored, an Altitude Accelerator podcast, does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and distributed by Bluemax. For more tech and censored content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemax.io to join us on Discord.